Hi, you're now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. We're happy to bring you sermons like this one every week. You can find other sermons at our site at harvest-community.org. So without further ado, here's our speaker. Uh, good morning. It's uh, really a privilege to be here. Again, uh, Pastor Dave said, uh, my name's Bobby. Uh, I'm married to uh, Renee. We've been married for eight years. Uh, we have three kids. Uh, Micah is five. Uh, Ethan is three. And Joshua, our youngest, is uh, uh, five weeks. Uh, you can refer to him by his stage name that I've given to him, Jay Schwa. Uh, that's going to be his uh, training name. But uh, I work full-time as a Chicago public school teacher. And uh, I've been doing that for now seven years, and I'm just gearing up to get ready to go back for another school year, which will start after uh, Labor Day. Uh, I attend seminary part-time, and I've only got seven more classes to go. And I'm telling you, when I'm done with those seven classes, I will throw the biggest MDiv party ever, full of Kool-Aid and donuts. Um, But... Yeah, I'm really excited, but it's still going to take me a long time since I'm doing that uh, part-time. And like Pastor Dave said, I get the privilege of serving here at Harvest uh, on the praise team. So just really thankful to be here and for all that God has taught me and my family uh, while we've been here at Harvest. I want you this morning to consider this statement that every one of you has been hurt by someone else in their life. And I want you to pause for a minute and just think about that one person who's hurt you in such a way that you still remember it to this day. In a big way or a small way, maybe as a child, a parent, or an uncle or aunt, someone, or maybe even as recently as the car ride to church, your spouse, your kids saying something or doing something that hurts you. And so today we'll be looking at God's word about forgiveness. Oh boy. And at the onset, I want to say this. I want to say that uh, there's, uh, I can't say uh, everything there is to say about forgiveness because there's so many, you know, nuances about relationships and uh, forgiveness and reconciliation that I don't have the time or the ability to be able to get into all those things. But I do want to say that once you think about that hurt, that hurt that someone has put on you, I want you to think about this statement. The extent to which you practice forgiveness reveals the extent to which you understand the gospel of Jesus. Okay, so I'll say that again. The extent to which you practice forgiveness day to day with that spouse, with that coworker, with that boss, with whoever, is the extent to which you really understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. And let me be the first to tell you right now, right here, I don't get it very much. Okay, I'm just going to be totally honest and tell you that I struggle with forgiveness. And even right now, just some resentment issues and things that I thought were over with, but just keep kind of surfacing up. But this is the area that I feel like God has been teaching me so much about. And I just want to share that with you. And when I realized that I struggle with forgiveness even still, I realized that as I was studying this passage, you know, God's commands seem great until you throw hurt and pain into the equation. Right? Like, it's great to sit here and sing these worship songs. We love you, Jesus. And you go home and you feel so uplifted. And then someone slights you. And then it's like, forget it, man. And I know how that feels. Once you throw pain and hurt into the equation, everything changes. And then what you really believe comes out. It points to this fact. Uh, Christian philosopher Miroslav Volf says, Forgiveness is difficult, even painful, and sometimes feels utterly impossible. Difficult, painful, and it sometimes feels so utterly impossible. 
Well, there's four points today. Uh, I'm going to get into the background of our text. Forgiveness, what it is. Forgiveness, why bother. And forgiveness, how we can do it. So with that being said, it's a large thing that I'm attempting to do. So would you pray with me right now? Uh, God, I just want to acknowledge the fact that what we're about to do, have me, a sinful man, try to open up your word and explain it, is something that's impossible apart from you. Lord, um, you know how difficult this is. You know every single person here. You see, you've seen the pain since day one of their lives. And you know t- the extent to which they've been hurt. And Lord, it's not me that's going to bring any change, but it's only you. And so, Lord, as we open up your word, I just acknowledge that this has to be done by you. Lord, just give me the strength to say things clearly, not make anything complicated, uh, not make anything difficult to understand, and just get out of the way of who you are and what you're trying to say. We pray in Jesus' name. So if you have your Bibles with you, would you open up to Matthew chapter 18? Matthew chapter 18. If you don't have it, uh, we're going to have it up on the slide. Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 to 35. We're going to be reading out of the English Standard Version, and I'm going to read this for us. Then Peter came up to him and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle... One was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees imploring him, have patience with me, I'll pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii and seizing him, he began to choke him saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from the heart. Whew. First point, background. Look at verse 21 and 22 with me. In this scene, Peter comes up to Jesus and he's got a serious question. Jesus is giving, him, giving them all these answers about things. And then Peter comes up to Jesus and says, so since you know all the answers, I got a question about forgiveness. But you know what? The thing is, Peter, he's starting to get Jesus a little bit more. You get what I'm saying? He knows that whenever you give Jesus an answer, Jesus gives you the answer like more than what you expect. So Peter comes up to him and says, so if my brother sins against me, how much, how much should I forgive him? As much as seven times? And you know, the Jewish law of that day said that you have to forgive someone maximum three times. So Peter's going like above and beyond. He's doubling it plus a little bit more and he thinks, All right, this should be enough. And then Jesus, in typical Jesus fashion, responds with this unbelievable answer. He says, no, 70 times 7. And for all of you math and engineering nerds, that's 490 times, right? 
But the point is not, once you reach 491, all right, you're, you're done. The point is this. Jesus is saying, even when you think you get me, you don't. Even when you think you get how much, uh, or even when you think you're overdoing forgiveness, you're not even in the same ballpark as me, as God who forgives you. Not even close You know, the other interesting thing about this is that this conversation would never fly in this day. Notice when Peter comes up and asks Jesus, how many times should I forgive him? Jesus doesn't say, oh, well, why don't we sit down, Peter? Tell me about your family history. So what did your brother do exactly? How many times has he done this? Are you kidding me? He did this many times? Jesus doesn't even ask for the context. So what conclusions should we reach? Well, first, number one, I think one conclusion we can reach is Peter really trusts Jesus. There's no pushback from Peter. If this was me, I know I would say, bro, you didn't even ask what happened, man. Like, you don't want to know any of the context here? Forget it. I mean, you don't even want to know, so why should I even listen? Jesus doesn't even ask the context. It shows that Peter trusts him to some extent. And then the second conclusion I think we can make is that there's something about forgiveness that applies despite the offense. There's something about forgiveness that applies despite whatever offense we've gone through. Now listen to this. There's some offenses that you guys, as you're looking at me, angry... (laughs) Can you smile, please? Uh, There's some offenses that some of you have gone through in your life that are so horrendous, so unimaginable, that for me to stand here and give you some platitudes about what you need to do would be offensive. And I know that. And I'm not saying that I can totally relate to you on every single point of every single thing of what you've gone through. But I do want to say this, humbly and in love, anytime you have that attitude that says, you haven't gone through what I've gone through, so I'm not going to listen to you. Or you've never walked in my shoes, so what you say doesn't apply. Anytime you have that attitude about anything, you're refusing the, forget- the, the healing that Jesus wants to give you. So I just ask right now, as those feelings, as I, I can see it on some of your faces, just the walls rising up, you know, just that tension kind of coming up. And I just want to ask you humbly, as somebody who's struggling with this as well, would you open up your heart to trust Jesus in what he's saying? That's the background. So let's get into it. Forgiveness, second point, what it is. Let's read uh, verses 23 to 27. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. So what happens is this king has got to settle accounts with his servants. And even though it says servants, these guys are really like landowners. They're like regional managers of an area. So Jesus, or not this king has one of his landowners come up to him, and one of these regional managers owes this king 10,000 talents. Okay, so when I was looking up what 10,000 talents is, the, the, one of the lower estimates I read said that 10,000 talents equates to 150,000 years of wages. 10,000 talents is 150,000 years of wages. So if you take Illinois minimum wage, 825, in a year you make 17,000, that means after 150,000 years, you owe $2.5 billion. And that was a low estimate. How did this landowner, who owns just this section of land, come up to this king and owe this much money, $2.5 billion? I don't know. Business owners, accountants? Managers, if one of, your, one of your subordinates had to come up to you and said, ah, so what had happened was 
I uh, owe you $2.5 billion. I mean, there's only some conclusions we can make, right? There's some, some reasons are mismanagement, right? Poor spending, waste, and lack of good accounting. Basically, this guy didn't do his job. That's the bottom line. He didn't do his job. And so the king orders this guy to be sold. You, your wife, your kids, everything you owe, everything you own, it's got to be repoed. I'm sorry. I mean, we got to recover some of the cost. So then what does the servant do? The servant says, have patience with me. I will pay you everything. I mean, this guy really thinks he can make a dent in the debt. You know, right now the U.S. debt is $14 trillion. And so just to put that into perspective, uh, if we paid $1 million per day since Jesus was born, we would not have paid off the U.S. national debt even today. So it's not going to happen, right? (laughs) Same thing with this guy. It's just not going to happen. So you feel the tension? You owe me $2.5 billion. And dude, it was your fault, man. I gave you everything you needed. Have patience with me. I'll pay you back. The tension is rising. And it's like, you can feel it. You can, you can almost see this servant on the floor imploring. I mean, he's thinking about his wife and his kids. Please, please, please. And so in verse 27, that tension is resolved. What does this king do? It says this, the master of the servant released him and forgave the debt. Forgiveness is the undeserved and unexpected release of someone from the debt they owe you. Do you get that? Forgiveness is the undeserved and unexpected release of the debt that someone owes you. You know what my forgiveness is like? You got to pay up some of that. You got to give me an apology. I got to see some kind of contrition. I got to see some kind of sorry. I got to see something for me to be like, all right, it's done. That's, that's my big thing. Even as a teacher, I got to see in my students that they feel a little bit bad about it. Otherwise, you're going to serve the time, boy. But this is undeserved, unexpected. From marriage to relationships to business relationships with your boss, with your spouse, it's undeserved and it's unexpected. That's crazy. Isn't it? Jesus calls us to this insane way of life. You know, in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania in 2006, a man named Charles Roberts, angry toward God for the death of his, ni- of his daughter nine years earlier, decided to take revenge by walking into an Amish schoolhouse and opening fire. You guys remember this story? He killed five little schoolgirls and wounded five others. But the story after it happened wasn't about the tragedy as much as it was about these Amish people forgiving this guy. This guy actually, after he shot the girls, he took his own life in the building. But what happened was something that even people to this day remember. Some Amish residents, six hours after the shooting, went to this guy's house and spoke forgiveness and peace toward his widow. At Robert's burial, over half the people who attended were Amish. Some had buried their daughters the day before. A reporter was like, what is going on here? They went up to these these Amish folks, and they compiled a book. And this reporter asked, in one chapter of the book, this reporter asked, what is forgiveness? And one of the guys said, it's giving up a grudge. A father who lost his daughter said this, it means I give up my right to revenge. 
Yo, if I lost my kid because of some crazy guy, somebody, that's not, God's going to have to do something in my heart. But for these people to come up and say, it's giving up my right to revenge. The reporter then published the book. I think it's available now. It's called Amish Grace. And they were angry about that. (laughs) You know why? Because they said, no, 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 no. This is not about Amish grace. This is about God's grace. Forgiveness is the unexpected, undeserved release of the debt that someone owes you. Second, uh, third point, forgiveness. Why do we do it? Why do we forgive? Because this is what God did for us. He released us from our debt. 10,000 talents is an unpayable amount. Okay, so if you and I represent this landowner and God is the king, right? Imagine that every act of sin, every bad attitude, every thought, every bad action, every bad belief is like incurring your debt. So I wake up in the morning, I get up, the kids are doing something, I get annoyed, boom, debt. I drive to work, somebody cuts me off, debt's increasing. One of my kids at school gets me angry, oh, more debt. Do you get it? At the end of one day of my life, It would be like out-of-control debt. Out-of-control. Sin is exactly this, rebellion against God, missing the mark, and it requires some kind of payment. Sin is so serious that, you know what? Sin required the creation of something called hell. A place where eternally people have to pay for their rebellion against God. Isn't sin is so serious? And then this is what God showed us, complete mercy, undeserved and unexpected. All forgiveness, everything is rooted in the forgiveness of God. That's our only motivation. If you lose sight of that, forgiveness is going to be difficult. The deeper our own experience and understanding of the free grace of God, the more generous we'll become in forgiveness. I'll say that again. The deeper our own experience and understanding of the free grace of God to you and me, the more generous we will become in forgiveness. I experienced this in a big way um, a, a while back. Uh, this happened in my life. It was my senior year of college. And there was this guy that I had a grudge against. And to say that I had a grudge against this guy, you all look at me and you think that I'm so nice. You don't know me, G. I had a grudge against this guy. I wanted to kill him. He wasn't on the same campus as I was, and I let him know that. I found his email address one day, and I sent him these emails repeatedly telling him that if I ever saw him, I was going to kill him. If he ever stepped on campus at U of I, his life would be done. And this was before I knew Jesus. And I don't want to get into the details of what he did to me, but let's say just this, is that the stuff he did to me was so hurtful and uh, so offensive that I had just rage inside of me. Have you ever experienced that rage? And I wanted this guy to feel a taste, just a portion of what he had put me through. I hit rock bottom. This was around uh, 1999. I hit rock bottom. And in the midst of that rock bottom, God finally broke through in my heart. He helped me to see his love for me. And I didn't even want to believe. I, I really didn't want to. I went to a conference where I told the guy on the first day, dude, I'm not here to change, man. So don't try to get me to change. I'm not here for that. I'm here to play basketball. Thank you. <laughs> That's what I told him, honestly. And that conference, people were singing just like we were doing. I was sitting in the back and I just started crying. And I couldn't stop. 
I couldn't stop because I realized that I was a sinner and God had forgiven me of this unbelievable debt. And his love began, began to just change me from the inside out. I remember uh, my cousin, um, so that happened in about December of 99. So in, 2000, uh, uh, in January 2000, things were changing for me from the inside out. I, I began to know God's love more and experience that. And I remember seeing my cousin and she's like, you even look different. And I was like, I know. And I felt different and I knew that I was changing. And then that summer, I attended a graduation party, and I'm walking down the stairs of the basement, and I turn the corner, and boom, that guy is sitting right there. And it was like the record scratching, like, Aah! and every, well, everyone who knew about the situation were like, Aah! Aah! and um, I just want to let you know that thankfully God changed my heart regarding this guy prior to the party. I was so aware of all that God had forgiven me of that I was able to relinquish whatever I felt like he owed me. Not only had I relinquished his grudge, not because I'm good, but because I realized what God had done for me. That I felt like I had to ask his forgiveness so here's what happened. I go down and sit down and he's sitting there and the, the host of the uh, party comes up to me and goes, okay, you can't get into a fight here. Don't ruin it for everybody. Don't get into a fight with him. I was like, yo, yo, I'm not here to fight him. Really, I'm, I'm not. I promise that won't happen. I just want to talk to him. So the guy goes upstairs and I was like, here's the moment. It was a moment that God had given to me. So he went upstairs and I went upstairs after him. Not after him. (laughs) After him. And uh, he was sitting at the dining table and his back was facing me. And I came up. And I tapped him on the shoulder and he turned around and he went like this. And I was like, dude, 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 I'm not here to fight you. I'm not, man. I'm not. And I was like, listen, this is all I want to say. I I found Jesus. (laughs) And I realized that he's forgiven me of all this stuff. And I'm just asking you, dude, please, I don't have any problems with, I don't have any beef with you. Please, would you forgive me for the stuff that I, I said and did to you? He's like, I man. I don't think he got what was going on. But we gave a manly hug and that was it. How deeply are you experiencing the free grace of God? How deeply? Because it'll be displayed in how you forgive. Because you know what your forgiving will be like? It'll be lavish, spontaneous, without qualifications and in response to God's love for you. I also want to say that we, the reason why, we also realize that there is a consequence, the implications. If you look at verse 31 to 35, actually, if you can show verse 35, it says, So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from the heart. Immediately when we read that, we go, whoa, 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 whoa. No, nope, nope. That's not the God that I know. That is not the God that I know. You're, you're telling me that I'm going to lose my faith? You're going to tell me that God is going to like remove the Christian label from me? That's not what Jesus is saying. The text doesn't say that you lose your status. The text is saying is you never had it. You were just fooling yourself. Because this is one of the hallmarks of really knowing God. Jesus says in Matthew seven seventeen. so every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruit. 
what you and me believe, there's a lot that we can say here Sunday at church, but what you and me believe, really believe, it's just going to overflow. It's just going to come out. Don't fool yourself. If unforgiveness is the pattern of your life, you really got to ask for your own sake. This is God's grace to us. God's grace to us is check yourself, please. Check yourself. Because he wants that relationship with us. Tim Keller, a pastor in New York, says this. At its worst, an unforgiving spirit reveals that you have no relationship with God. At its best, it shows that you have a gross misunderstanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ. At its worst, you don't get it. At its best, you're really off. So we learn what it is, why we do it. Lastly, let's talk about how to do this business of forgiveness. We know that famous quote, to err is human, to forgive is divine. Every religion, every irreligious society will say, forgiveness is a great virtue. We should practice forgiveness. So what makes Christian forgiveness so different? Well, I touched on it earlier. It's rooted in the forgiveness of God already. But really, day to day, how do we do it? Christ is our example and Christ enables us. Christ is our example and Christ enables us. All right, so here's some practical things on how we can forgive. And I'm telling you, I have recited this to myself over and over and over. And even when I mess up, over and over and over and over. First thing, remember all the wrong you've been released from. Imagine this. If the unforgiving servant, after he left, could you imagine him groveling? And then the king says, you're released. And then he goes, You know what, you get what I'm saying? He can't believe it. And then he, imagine if he just went outside and sat on a bench, like, oh my gosh, I just was saved from total ruin and destruction. Imagine if he just let himself dwell on that. That's what you and me got to do. We got to just take some time to remember. When we've been slighted, maybe we need to leave that conflict, whether it's with your spouse or a friend. or so We just got to take some time and just dwell on it and go, God, you got to show me how much I've been forgiven because right now I'm not feeling it or hearing it. You know, that debt that was, in, that was incurred in the parable, it didn't just disappear, right? At the end of the ta- fiscal year, the king, his accountants come up and says, All right, well, let's balance your books. Uh, Here's number one, number two. Okay, here's the cost. Okay, $2.5 billion. Uh, What's this about, king? And he says to his accountants, it's a write-off. It's a loss. What? Yeah, we're just going to have to take that against our estate. Who bore the cost of that? The king did. Let's acknowledge then that all forgiveness is costly. And if we're going to do it, if we're going to remember, who has to bear it? You do. And me. That's ridiculous. Me bear the cost? What? At the cross, Jesus paid for all the wrong you and I were released from. Your unpayable debt he bore because of his love. The justice of God and the love of God met. He had to reconcile this debt of sin. Yet he loved us so much that at the cross, Jesus took all of that and took our sins. It was reconciled. The cost to Jesus was separation from God the Father. All the wrath and anger that you and I deserve, he got it. The benefit to us He didn't just take our negative 2.5 billion balance and give us zero. It was 2.5 billion to excess, excess, excess. His righteousness was given to us. We just need to remember, 
says in Colossians, And you who are dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, nailing it to the cross. And that life, Jesus' life, it's in you. That ability to bear the cost, it's in you and me. That's what he's given us. As small as it is, it's there. Remember all that you've been forgiven from. Number two, refuse to dwell on the crime. If you're anything like me, after the offense has been committed, you just sit there and you play it over and over, and you got the the highlight reels going, and you've got different camera angles of how it happened. And then not only that, but you let people come in. Oh, I got to meet you at Starbucks. Bro, let me tell you about how screwed up this person is. And you just, that's the essence of your conversation. And what does that person say to you? I understand. And you just keep replaying it over and over and over. And then we can create a caricature of that person, right? That person is just unforgiving. But when I do it, you know, there's, you know, reason for that. Refuse to dwell on the crime. At the cross, Jesus refused to dwell on the crimes we had committed against him. He was deserted and denied by his friends. False accusations, an unjust trial, physical abuse, spit in the face, hit across the face. And he said, if I wanted to, I could ask my father and he would at once dispose 10,000 legions of angels to relieve me from this. But he chose not to dwell on that. And he decided to think about us and what we needed. For every time that you and I think about all the wrong we've gone through, focus, refuse to dwell on the crime and dwell on what he's done. That life, that ability to refuse to dwell on the crime, it's in you. And it's in me. It's small, but it's there. You know, you might be hearing me saying, it's in you, it's in me. What what do you mean by that? I mean this. A quote from C.S. Lewis might help us to understand this. Put right out of your head the idea that these are only fancy ways of saying that Christians are to read what Christ said and try to carry it out. Put that out of your head. As a man may read what Plato or Mark said and try to carry it out, they mean something much more than that. They mean that a real person, Christ, here and now, in that very room where you are saying your prayers, is doing things to you. It's not a question of a good man who died 2,000 years ago. It is a living man still as much a man as you and still as much God as he was when he created the world, interfering with your very self, killing the old natural self in you and replacing it with the life that he has. At first, only for moments. Then, for longer periods. Finally, if all goes well, into a new little Christ a being which in its own small way has the same kind of life as God, which shares in his power, joy, and knowledge. That's what I mean when I say it's in you. He's right here, right now, poking, prodding, helping you to say you can bear this cost. I'm here. What do we have to do? We got to refuse to dwell on the crime. We got to remember. We got to relinquish control. Trust God. You know what? There's that voice inside of you, that voice inside of me that says, That's all good, but listen, people are going to take advantage of you. If you want to live that kind of wacky life, people are going to walk all over you. You're going to be a doormat. Is that what you want? You're not going to get any justice for anything that happened. What if they don't think that what they did was wrong? then you're just excusing their behavior. You're just letting it go on on more. Trusting God means that forgiveness is not excusing it. It just means that it's not your job and my job to settle the accounts. In your life right now, if it's another Christian 
We trust God that God is at work in that other Christian's life to bring to surface what it is that the the issue is. And that doesn't just happen naturally. We pray and we ask God, you got to bring this up because it's actually not just for my good, but it's for their own sake. The temptation not to trust was there even for Jesus. As he was hanging on that cross for you and me, you know what the people said to him? They came up to him and said, he trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he desires him. For he said, I'm the son of God. And the robbers who were crucified him also reviled him in the same way. That trust you want to put in God is always going to be poked at. Always. Happened to Jesus on the cross. That trust will always be attacked. But you and I have the ability because of Jesus to say, not my will, but yours. I might not see, Lord, I might not see justice in my lifetime. But I'm going to trust you. I would say the next thing is to get help. Get help. First is from God in prayer, right? There's something about sin that just hardens our hearts. And you know, when uh, our boys get in trouble, um, when I got to give them a timeout or give them a spanking or something else, I I pull them aside and I try to say to them when I'm not consumed by anger. uh, This is on my good days. I try to tell them, you know what? I need to give you a consequence because sin is hardening your heart and you don't even see it. I have to. And hopefully this consequence helps you see that your heart is being hardened. And so for us, we got to pray, Lord, help me because sin is hardening my heart. Even right now, even as you're hearing me, you're thinking you should be praying if this is an issue for you too. God, soften my heart. My heart is so hard. Soften it. And I would say even this, get help from others. Counseling. Maybe you know someone, a brother or sister, who can't forgive. Maybe that's what they need too. Because this is so serious. Jesus is basically saying to us, this idea of forgiveness, releasing unexpectedly, undeservedly, is central to how I relate to you. If you don't get this then you don't get anything else. That's how serious it is. And so you, like me, might need accountability. And you know, I want us to dismiss the idea that accountability is just something that guys do for their private secret sins. Accountability is for whatever is going to ensnare you, your Achilles heel, the thing that you keep struggling with. Maybe that's what you need. Lastly, check your heart often. Forgiveness is not exile. This is what I mean by that. If you look at the parable, every indication seems like this guy still had his job. The king didn't say, I forgive you, I'm done with you, you're fired. No relationship, nothing, nada, see ya. So what I'm saying is, If your thoughts are somewhere along the lines of, okay, I'll forgive them, but I don't want to see their face ever again. Can we come to that compromise? Or I've forgiven them, but I really don't care to have any relationship with them. If they're in my life, great. If they're not in my life, great. My life goes on. That's not biblical forgiveness. After rising from the dead... Jesus went after Peter, the person who denied him three times. He went to the disciples who deserted him. I think you can ask yourself, if you're wondering, did I really forgive this person? Just ask, do I really love them or am I indifferent? God is infinitely attentive to you, so that's why we can't be indifferent to one another. True forgiveness leaves the door open for full reconciliation. It might not happen. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but true forgiveness leaves the door open for that. Well, uh, 
a while back, I was driving home, or uh, Micah and uh, Ethan and uh, I, we were at a, a, a party, and, and one of Micah's friends wasn't playing with him. And um, I saw it, and I was kind of hurt. And uh, so after the party, we're driving home, and uh, I go, Micah, uh, your friends weren't playing with you. What happened? And he just, he just like unloaded. I was like, dang, you're five years old. But he's like, yeah, they didn't play with me. I don't know. Did I do something? I thought we were friends. And oh my gosh, I was about to break down and cry. My little boy is being hurt by other people. And you know, the natural part of me, I, I wanted to go, Micah, don't worry about it. I'm going to schedule playdates till kingdom come, buddy. You don't need those friends, baby. I got you some more. And that's how I felt because I was so hurt for him. But at that moment, God was just reminding me of some of the things that I was learning. And I didn't fully believe it, but I said, Micah, when your friends hurt you, you got to think about Jesus. His friends deserted him when he needed them. His friends betrayed him. And what did he do? He still loved them. That's what you and I got to think about. I didn't even really believe that. But in closing, I want to say this. If you get this, you'll realize that you and I are the unforgiving servants. And you'll get it sometimes and you won't. And on that drive home, I kind of really didn't. But I knew that if I could just trust God and teach my son that in Christ, not only do we find someone who can relate to us, but someone who empowers us to live that way, we're getting a little bit closer. So what do we do now? We repent. God, I am the unforgiving servant. I refuse to just release people unexpectedly and undeservedly. And so we just tell that to the Lord. But I think we also do this. We rejoice in our King. We repent. We say it. We own up for it. But we rejoice in our King. This is a a quote. Uh, Keller says, We're a bunch of servants who go around acting like we're kings. He is the King who actually became the servant. That gives me hope. Because when I look at my heart, it's worse than I initially thought. Every time I come to church, I'm like, dang, I'm worse than I really thought I was. But that's kind of the point. I imagine my heart, if you would, with me, just like this barren wasteland. Just dirt. Are you seeing that picture in your head? Dry, cracked without water, no life. And then Jesus has come into my heart and he starts working. He starts tilling that soil. And he starts planting seed and he starts watering it. And then in this area of forgiveness, there's a little shoot that comes up to show that there is life. As you and I keep thinking about the Savior what he's done for you, how he's still bringing life to dead places, how he hasn't given up on you and me. You're believing God's word a little bit more. It's not an excuse to keep on sinning, but it's this. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you. And any little sign of life is Jesus in you. So we don't just repent and feel sorry about ourselves, but we rejoice that we have a Savior who did it all. And it's in this strange paradox that as we think about Him, what He's done, what He continues to do, He changes us. Amen? Let's pray. Uh, Why don't you just spend a couple minutes right now just coming before God and uh, just acknowledging that you've got some hurt and maybe there's areas of your heart that are still hard. Talk to him. 
Forgiveness is the unexpected and undeserved release. Tell him whether you believe that or not. Come before him and say, Lord, I don't get this, and so you've got to show me how much I've been released of. And say, Lord, I I don't want to live a lie. I don't want to fool myself. I need you to change me. I need you to bring life to where it was dead. Take a few minutes and hear what God is saying to you. And if you hear him saying something, that is Christ in you bringing life. Lord, we want to acknowledge this morning that there is so much more we have to say to you than this short prayer time will allow. And so, God, would you continue the conversation in our hearts? Even as we're pulling out of the parking lot, uh, nag us, Lord. Lord, when we go home today, Lord, when we are about to hit the bed tonight, Lord, nag us. Help us to spend some time with you. Lord, remind us that this is not about what we have to do, but what we get to do in response. Lord, you're calling us to a radical way of life, a way that is totally impossible apart from you. But we repent and say, Lord, we are sorry, but we rejoice in you, our Savior, who paid our debt and who is now in us speaking, working, bringing even the smallest shoot of life to dead places. And so for that, we rejoice in you and we say thank you for giving us hope. We want to just say, Lord, we're willing to just be worked on by you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.